Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Today we're reading from Ephesians 5, verses 21 to chapter 6, verse 9. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the saviour. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit that to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly, as if you are serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever they do, whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. All right, now today we're going for a crack of three sermons in one. I reckon there's three sermons. There's one on wives and husbands. There's one on parents and kids. And there's one on slaves uh, and masters. Um, and often, uh, because it's not relevant today, we miss the slave and masters one. But we're not doing that today because I think it's actually really significant for us to consider. And so we're going to have a crack at that. And because we're doing three talks in one, I've subcontracted out a bit of the uh, application. And at some point... Um, near the end, I'm going to get Peter and Meredith up and ask them a few questions to give us some practical advice. All right? So um, strap yourselves in, and we're going to get stuck into uh, this passage This passage today. Let me get myself sorted here. Um, you, the outline's there, and those points are right, but I am going to do them in a little bit of a different order, but they're, they're still correct, which is a nice change for me, isn't it? So um, I'm actually going to pray. I want to just ask God to help us uh, take on board everything we're going to consider, and then we're going to, um, and then we're going to uh, figure out <coughs> what is Paul talking about. Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks for your word. We're we're embarking upon some amazing um, 
instruction and advice and challenge to us um, that is so good for your people in the Christian household and yet so many uh, years, centuries later, there's some translating to do uh, because of the culture gap and where our society is and how far they've moved from you. So help us to do that well and help us to be truly transformed by your spirit. Now, uh, let's just jump right into it today. What we're remembering about Ephesians is, is that Paul established very clearly up front, the first few chapters, the gospel is all about everything being united to Jesus. And we saw the blessings that Christians get to be united in Jesus in chapter 1. We saw how that could possibly happen when we are dead and it's through grace in which Jesus died for us, which we've already seen in the Lord's Supper today. And, we, and then he establishes because of that, you've got one people, one united people. And then we saw from chapters 4 to 6 and all the way through, we've seen that actually now you're a new people, you're not just new in that you're together, you're totally different in the way you think. You're totally different in the way you process um, the world. And so we had uh, the first week thinking about what does it mean to be one body and how we work together, um, as we saw at the beginning of chapter 4. And then we saw, well, then there's a whole bunch of character, behaviour, attitudes, mindsets that need to change. And so we had two weeks on that. I did a week on it where we looked at the putting off of the godless things and the putting on of godly things. And last week, Peter uh, helped us see that then also you think about it in darkness and light. You, you want to be in the light, not in the darkness. And how you live and change, you're kind and compassionate, not bitter and angry. There's all these characteristics um, that the new humans in Christ live and it's different because of what Jesus has done on the cross. And that means that the household is different. And so, once you've established all these things in the character, Paul moves to the household. And where does he start? Well, he starts with the husband and the wife. And as you start thinking about the husband and the wife, and as you establish what a, the, the, the Christian household is going to look like, well, then you get to the kids. And then, of course, as we'd expect, you get to the slaves and the masters because we've all got them at home, right? All, all the slaves at home. And then it gets a bit weird because we get slaves and masters. Then why is he talking about something that is horrendous? Why is he talking about... But that was part of the household then. So how do we process that? Well, what we're going to do is we're going to think about um, these three things and I want us to get practical on them. And I, I, what I've decided to do uh, now today is we're going to start with the slaves and masters first and then we'll talk about the, the other two. But before we even get there, we need to see the principle for all people in Christ. Can you see it there in verse 21? Of chapter 5, it would be great to have the Bible open with you um, today. I think that would be really helpful. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. You may have remembered last week uh, that Peter mentioned that this verse kind of works like a hinge. You know, like a hinge joins two things together and it can open it and close it. This is working as a hinge, pointing us, um, flipping back to what was said before and flipping us forward to what he's going to say. 
So when you think about all your characters and how you live and your, the godliness that you're supposed to be and the ungodliness that you're not supposed to be, you do that from the mindset of submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. One another. Everyone in the Christian house, in the Christian community thinks this way and you do it because you're revering Christ. And so when you do that, um, it means that submission is to place others as more important than yourself, that you've got concern for the others. You humble yourself for the sake of someone else is clearly what he's pointing to and showing um, is the way it works out. And that's obvious when you look back. When you look back at what he's said, he's saying, don't be full of malice and bitterness and anger, which just is all about you and you not getting what you want and you being mistreated and so you treat others badly. And instead, be kind and compassionate. His true submission out of the reverence for Christ is that you'll do things for others at the lessening of yourself. This principle is applied across um, uh, the Christian community. And so the way you speak to one another, you can speak in crass ways or mocking people when your principle is really to build yourself up and to build them down or you speak in a way that builds them up, not you. It's a submitting. That's where sexual immorality should not have part of the Christian household because sexual immorality is about you getting what you want, not the sake of the other. And when we had our series on relationships last last year and in, in this passage and becoming one flesh, that sexual relationships bring people together and are for the sake of the other, you're concerned about the other person in the intimate physical relationship you have in marriage. Here's a principle that we need to think through. And so if you're wondering, what does this mean for me? It depends where you're coming from. If you're not a Christian or you're wrestling with what you think, well then actually what what you'll see today through all of this is probably a lot of stuff that on the surface you'll be quite probably maybe annoyed by. But if you think about and wrestle with it, what you'll actually see is that Jesus' way is far better and he actually wants you to be in relationship with him. That's what's lying behind it and that is really helpful for you to see. And it's only when you truly grab that and understand that that this starts to fall into place and make sense. So with that principle, we need to go into these different categories. But even as we do that, I want to take us back one more step. If you've got your Bible in front of you, jump back to chapter 5, verse 1. Because I think Paul has said something here and now he's um, actually just applying it for us. He's doing it. Have a look at chapter 5, verse 1. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. See, what Paul does in husbands and wives, parents and, and kids, slaves and masters, is he says, Look at the example of Jesus. Just as Jesus is like this, this is how you ought to think about those relationships. He gives us a principle that we all ought to think about life and how do we figure that out? Well, he actually, that's the framework in which we think about this passage. So if we don't think about it in the context of Jesus' example, the way of love, the sacrifice, we can distort it. We can make really bad applications and assumptions. But we don't need to when we see how great Jesus is and how he's the framework for it all. So, 
Let's jump to the one that's perplexing. I would have thought you and I would expect that God's word would have something to say about marriage. Something to say about parents is good. And it should say something about slavery as well, I would have thought. It's bad. It should stop. But Paul doesn't do that. And that makes me feel uncomfortable. (laughs) So let's have a look at it. You see... Well, let, let's read it first, and then we'll, then we'll um, think about it. Verse 5 of chapter 6. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favour when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve, serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will receive each, uh, each one for whatever good they do whether they are a slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. What's going on? What's going on is that there's a massive culture gap for us, isn't there? We don't have this context. I certainly don't hope we don't have this context. And, but the Bible's like that all the time that there are lots of culture gaps that we try and figure out to understand, to understand how we relate it to today. Some of them are unimportant or they're a little bit more silly or really clear and some are actually really tricky to work out and understand. And I, for many years, have found this one quite perplexing. Um, There's examples like, you you know, there's an instruction in the Bible in the New Testament, that is worded in a way like any of the instruction, you should do this, where it says, greet each other with a holy kiss. I don't care what you say, if Tim Adams tries to come up with me and give me a kiss at the beginning of the service today, I'm not accepting that. But the Bible says to do it. So don't even think about it, Tim. I'm not going to let it happen. But what you need to do (laughs) but the idea behind that is when you understand what a holy kiss was back then it was a significant and important way of welcoming people in and acknowledging them and and being close to them we do that in all sorts of ways here one of the ways I, i try and do although i was really bad at it this morning is be at the front door and just say hello to everyone as they come in some shake hands be friendly like that. You know, the other day, Tim nodded at me from a distance. I thought, yeah, there it is. That's the holy kiss that we have. You know, like, that's how it works, right? You see, you have, we don't holy kiss, you see? But when I was in Irwood in Sydney, it was a community of 30% Greeks and 30% Lebanese um, and Italian Roman Catholics. There was a lot of kissing going on, let me tell you. The men say hello to each other with a kiss sometimes. That's the culture. I tried... Oh, gee, it was awkward. Okay, moving on. But some are serious. And this one is serious. And that's why I thought we want to talk about it. We're talking about slavery. It was only 150-odd years ago the abolition of slavery happened. And it's hard for us to get our head around it. And kind of every now and then we do because often many movies and ideas talk about slavery and bring it up, and as they should because it's so disgraceful because we've been looking at Ephesians and we see all of humanity are equal in Christ and, and all God made us in the image of God um, before even um, we come to Christ 
humans are made in the image of God equally, um, it's hard to figure out. But you know, back in 150 years ago with the slavery trade, there were ministers, I only really realised this um, recently, there were ministers on both sides arguing from the Bible, from Paul even, that it was God-ordained institution um, and so it shouldn't be abolished. Because they were seeing passages like the one we're looking at today and saying it's here. And others would look at other passages and talk about the great evil and injustice of it. Now to us, we're automatically going to jump to it's a great evil injustice because of where we are in our cultural um, lens. But what do you do? How do you think these things through? You can just quickly jump to your own perspective as if you've got no bias and you happen to be the only person or us as a church are the only people to be completely objective and don't have any um, influence on everything going around us. But that would be super arrogant and not humble and not real world. We need to have a look at it, not try and find memory verses and throw them back and forward at each other or at different people as you look at verses, but see what is the context that he was talking into and how does it relate to them and how do we understand it? That's what we do when we read the Bible all the time. Where does Jesus speak into this? That's why I gave the framework of out of reverence for Christ, follow God's example. We need to see that. This is, a big, is actually a big deal, but it's just that little bit distant from us that we don't realise how big a deal it is. The way we treat humans, treat each other, has, we are just got a history of doing it so badly and it's charged with slavery and the emotion is deep. You know, the Britain and Atlantic slave trade actually was how they, they, they stole people kidnap people from Africa to be prosperous, and they were. So how do we think about it? Well, first of all, we need to see the first century slave um, slave way and the, maybe the way we think about slavery today has similarities and differences. First of all, um, slavery we're thinking of, and like the, the, that slavery I just mentioned, it was an ethnic group pulled out and isolated and separated from. And, 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 and treated as lesser because of who they are. Back in the first century, uh, there's been some say about 30 to 50% of people in Rome were slaves and it wasn't ethnically divided. They were integrated into all levels of life and some had authority and power. Um, some came out of, the similarities are, some did come out of being prisoners of war and being brought into slavery and stolen but there's a whole bunch of people that were what was called bond slaves. That is, it's not a practice we have today, thankfully, but when you become bankrupt, the way you deal with that is you sell yourself to someone and you become their property, but you can earn your way out of it eventually. Some did, some didn't, until you buy it all back. But where it's similar is that you're the property of someone else and you lose all your legal rights. So it wouldn't make sense for someone to own a slave to do that, but if they did, um, if they did actually treat their, their slaves poorly, they could um, bash them, they could abuse them, they could even kill them and there'd be no consequence. So why is Paul talking about it? 
Well, as we look at this passage, you see there's nothing there that saying he that to get rid of it. Why does he do that? Well, because there's no chance. If this little community said, we are going to stand up against slavery, what do you think is going to happen in Rome? Caesar's just going to kill them all. They're not going to exist anymore. And so Paul doesn't just say then, oh, well, we've got to just embrace slavery. Have a look at what he says and you'll see what's going on. He says... In verse 5, slaves obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. You love Jesus now, so the situation you're in, you follow like you do Jesus. You're going to do it differently. You're going to think about this very, very differently. He goes on to say, obey them not only to win their favour when their eye is on you, but as a slave of Christ. You're not actually, you don't actually belong to them. Kind of how the world's working, but you actually belong to Jesus, is what he's saying there to the to the slave. That's where you belong. So you now have, there's a freedom in that, because you can do what they ask of you and live for them, because your true freedom is with Jesus, and this will disappear. He goes on to say, um, uh, "Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, because you have freedom in Christ." Do the job that you've got rightly, properly. Because you know that people, um, uh, sorry, because you know that the, the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. You are in Christ. You are a slave to Christ. You are a servant of him. And so that's your freedom. So while this structure and world and this world in the light of sin and the problems that we're in, um, you're in this situation, you can still live in freedom in Christ and live to serve him. And then he goes on to say, he talks to masters. And this is, this is just kind of nonsense in a way. Masters, treat your slaves in the same way, in the same way. But they're my property. What do you mean treat them in the same way? No, no, because you actually, if you're a Christian, you, they're not your property. <laughs> They belong to Christ just as you belong to Christ. Do not threaten them since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no favoritism with him. Back to Ephesians 2, one people. This structure that you're in, you've got to break it from the inside. You think differently. You will not abuse this. Uh, the way that Rome is set up that you can kill them, you can abuse them, you Forget the laws and the rules, you're working in a totally different structure now. You're going to treat them out of Christ and love for Christ. That's how we think about it. And so what Paul is actually saying, what he's actually challenging them to see is that you live totally differently in whatever context you're in. What he's actually described for the slave and the, and the master is, what's he described? Not slavery in the first century world and certainly not in any way the slavery, the horrendous slavery that's happened in our recent you know, few generations past. There was no opportunity to take down slavery then because Rome was total dictator and you couldn't. 
when there was a democ- when there's de- democracy and, and people like William Wilberforce saw an opportunity, and Martin Luther King in America saw an opportunity where they could stand up and fight for the rights, he took it down. But Paul is making the point, no matter the situation, you live for Jesus. And that's a big challenge. So what do we do with this? It's not what we would expect. Some say, well, then therefore what we do with this passage is we just take it to the workplace. We just say, it's to have a good worth, your boss is kind of like the master and you're kind of like, can I say, I don't buy that at all. (laughs) I think that's really poor translation of this passage. The point is, I think, that we don't belong to anyone else. And so in the workplace, that might mean if, if you are a boss in charge, don't treat your people like they belong to you. And often people in high power, that's how they act. And if you are one who isn't in a position of power, that doesn't give you the right to slacken off and not do your job properly because you serve God and so you will do your responsibilities properly. But it crosses over all aspects, I think, we see in any way, in that we don't treat people as if we, they belong to us. While we might, don't, they label it as slavery, we don't treat our relationships in our family, relationships with each other, I don't treat you in that way as your pastor who leads you. We have a totally different way of thinking about it. The poor is undoing the nature of slavery and the way he got them to interact within the system that they were. I think the challenge for us is to make sure we have no favouritism with people and we don't see others in mind or in how we act to them or talk to them in that way. That is a real challenge and it's important for us because this is a lesson that humanity continually, time and time again, refuses to listen to. There'll be no surprise if in some way some kind of slavery will come back in a generation or two later. It's happening still around the world but more in the Western world. There's no reason why someone in power won't try and do that. And we remember as Paul taught uh, the slaves and masters in the first century, no one belongs to anyone else. We all belong to Christ. Well, What about thinking about that part of the household, let's go, let's go back all the way to husbands and wives. And I think the first thing you want to say, if you want to understand this properly, the key is context, 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 I said on there. If you look through that passage, Paul is saying over and over again, just as, look at Jesus, the church and Jesus. Jesus loved, he died this way, so apply that. The example of Jesus must shape your framework for thinking about marriage and this passage. If you don't, you will distort the words in this passage and you will misunderstand what he means when he says love and respect and to submit and to uh, treasure, to uh, continue on in this relationship as one flesh. Um, what we see in verse 32 is the, what this passage is about. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. 
this passage is not in first order about marriage, about husbands and wives. But we usually talk, it's a great passage to use at a wedding and I've used it many times and it, and it should be, but it's not primarily about that. You've got marriage over here and it happens because it's an example of the big thing over here. It's kind of down here, kind of pointing to up there. There's Jesus and the church. This should be representing that. I'm talking about Jesus and his relationship with the church. That is what he's talking about. The marriage is to reflect that spectacular relationship. And we need to see that. And so, he summarises that. What does that look like for the husband and the wife in verse 33? It's about the church. So then, however, this is what it should look like for the marriage. The summary of this whole passage, without a doubt it's the summary of the passage, is each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. Love his wife, respect her husband. That is the context in which he's saying it all works beautifully together. It's the biggest context for understanding marriage. It's that it's not. It's um, not as if uh, wives sh- um, shouldn't um, love their husbands and husbands shouldn't respect their wives. It's not mutually exclusive, but it's intentionally saying there. Make sure, as a priority, you do these for the other. You don't collapse them into saying, oh, it's for everyone either. Definitely don't do that. There's a priority of the husband loving his wife, and so we need to understand what that means. And we need to understand what it means to respect a husband. And that's why we see um, in verse 25, um, we, we see this in practice. Husbands love your wives just as just as remember chapter 5 verse 1 follow God's example just as Christ loved us husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her if you're a husband you're going to be a future husband even if you're really young at this point if you are going to take the leadership of of a household, you're not concerned about being in charge or the boss. You're not concerned about dominating in the relationship. You're concerned about treasuring your wife in everything you do. And that leadership, that priority, is about you doing everything you can to build her up in Christ. So much so, if it, if it came to it, you would die for her. That is leadership. To take the initiative of love and to lead her in a way in which this is fantastic should be the response of the wife. You do that because you love her and cherish her. You are not concerned about you being up on the mantle of domination in the relationship. If we truly work through this passage, we see how he keeps on coming back to think about Jesus and how he relates to us. 
we communion. The Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Mark 10. Leadership is service. To take the initiative, to take the family, to take your wife in, into a deep relationship with God and do everything for her. Verse 28, in the same way, once again, the example, this applying of what he said in one. in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. Can you see how ridiculous it is and how unacceptable it is if a husband mistreats their wife in any way. I'm ashamed of the times where I may have risen my voice to Jen because that is unacceptable. It's a great challenge for men to stand up, take the initiative and don't start with, okay, I need to make sure I'm the leader, I'm the one in charge. Do that by forgetting that, I reckon, and actually do it by thinking, how am I going to love? How am I going to take the initiative in that? How am I going to give up myself for the sake of the others? And start that way. Because when we do that, we come back to verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Is to say, why would I not want to, when my husband's doing that for me, want to follow in that? Why would I not want, as one who loves Jesus and the person who is one flesh with me is saying, let's continue on following Jesus and I'm going to do everything for you and to give up my life for you. That's how it's supposed to work in harmony. You need to marry someone in which you can see that that's how it's going to work out. And so um, I'm going to get Peter Meredith up um, um, in, in just a second, but I just want to say um, it means then you love men and women, you respect your husband. You build him up. You don't belittle and push him down or don't give him an opportunity to love and serve you and you don't manipulate. And men, you do not in any way mistreat. It's not acceptable and should never be tolerated by God's people. It doesn't mean that women are doormat and men, and men uh, don't do anything uh, to continue on thinking about the decisions that they make for themselves. We're in Adelaide because I thought that's what we should do. Jen willingly came because she thought, okay, this is where we're going to go. It means if you're a Christian... Before marriage, don't be a disobedient fool. And I use the word fool on purpose because that's what the Bible says you are if you um, do stupid things. If you go out with a non-Christian and you foster love and intimacy for someone who doesn't love Jesus, what you're doing is just blatant disobedience because your life is supposed to be one of mutual, one flesh relationship where you're both heading towards Christ. The flirt to convert idea is just so ridiculous as if God can't save people without you compromising yourself. 
And that's why we need to truly reassess how we think about our relationships. Why don't I get Peter and Meredith up? I want to ask them a couple of questions, if that's all right. Yeah, come up. Because I thought, I can, I can wrap it on, and you hear me all the time, but it's great sometimes. <laughs> um, that's a laughter, and I love it too, right, Damien? <laughs> Um, but I thought it'd be great just to ask you a couple of questions and get some wisdom, because um, that's actually what I've been doing ever since I've come to Adelaide, is, is stealing your wisdom. Um, uh, the first question I wanted to ask about um, uh, marriage before the kids, sorry, I flipped it around the other way. Um, how have you tried to show respect to Peter? And Peter, how have you tried to show um, love to Meredith? You know, I'm really glad that might use the word tried, because tried is what it is, I think. Um, it's not something that comes really easily, uh, but it's something um, that I need to do. Really interesting that Mike just uh, talked about um, Jen um, came to Adelaide. Uh, Mike said he was coming to Adelaide, and so Jen came along too. When we came to Adelaide, it was really hard because... Um, we had the choice of three places where we could go. So one, two, and three. Three was Adelaide. And I really wanted to go to one or two. Um, and then two was the one that I really wanted. And, and so what happened was that Peter was actually offered two and three. But he wanted three. And I said, I really want two. And I said this to him, I said, out of respect for you, I'm going to make three a goer. He found that really, really, really hard. But I decided, again, I needed to respect, so so that was a three. Mm. When I think about respect, um, particularly uh, for me um, as a woman, a verbal female... I know that the best way that I can respect Peter is by having control of my tongue. Mm. So that means, you know, what I say and what I do, I need to be acting in a respectful way. And it was one of the things um, that I taught our girls to, four verbal females, one male in the household, and they had their opinions too and their opinions about what Peter might do or might not do or if he did something that they didn't like, what do they do? So I had to teach them that respect was actually respecting your father for who he is um, and keeping control of your tongue. Mm. So, so for me as a woman, the respect thing is definitely keeping tongue under control. <laughs> That's great. Peter? <laughs> uh, how did I love me? It's not a sermon, by the way, so you no, haven't no, heard no, no, no. <laughs> I just answer, thought, oh no, what have I done? <laughs> my answers are much shorter. Um, I think basically what I've sought to do is support Meredith um, in uh, the ways I could. Um, that meant... Um, sometimes trying to do some housework and things like that, particularly when she was uh, working full-time and I was studying in Sydney. Um, uh, trying to do that in order just because I knew the pressure was on her and that sort of thing mm. and my time was a little more flexible. Um, and then over here, I think, um, what I've tried to support her is obviously there's a big transition going on um, between moving here to Adelaide in, in many ways. 
Um, but Meredith used to be a, a physiotherapist and she sort of, uh, um, for reasons I won't go into that, wasn't working to come over here and do that and so she transitioned to um, being a teacher. That involved uh, two degrees along the track, uh, normal one, then a master's later on and other things like that and that involved a lot of uh, things that needed to happen within the family and uh, some essays that I needed to read and edit and all sorts of things along the way. So I'd say just um, my aim was to try and support her in her aspirations there too um, along the way to see her flourish and what she wanted to do. Mm, that's great. Thanks, Peter. Um, one more question about marriage. Um, you're going back in time to, t- uh, to talk to yourself on day one of your marriage. What do you wish you could do? What would you say to your, your day one marriage self about your future marriage? Um, from what I know now, <laughs> yep. yeah. Um, well, it's an interesting one. Meredith, um, when she, uh, you know, first uh, we were getting together, um, thought, well, hang on, I'm marrying a minister. He's got to be super spiritual, you know, da 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 da, and all that sort of stuff. And then she found out the reality. Um, <laughs> and I think for me, uh, it came out in uh, things like praying with Meredith. I've always found prayer difficult for one reason or another, just in being consistent and that sort of thing. And um, it ended up being that, that um, I didn't really set in place a consistent way of praying with Meredith. We had mm. family devotions and stuff like that. That was all in place and things, but not praying with Meredith. And um, I found out that was a great disappointment to her later on because she came from a difficult home life and that sort of thing and, and was looking forward to sharing that sort of thing with me and it never really happened. And even when I found out, you know, uh, somebody might say, why didn't you do something about it? Yeah, that's right. Why didn't you do something about it? Um, Life gets busy. Mm. Kids, life gets busy working, that sort of thing. And um, it just, we would pray about things that came up, but it's just never happened the way I wanted to. I'd go back and say, you've got to get that in order Um, there. And I think the other thing is just... um, um, I'd say to myself, you've got to follow through on what you say. Mm. Um, so I'd say plenty of things and a bit of procrastinator. No, I'm a big procrastinator. So they're not you talking about. Um, <laughs> and and so I know Meredith would get frustrated by the fact that I'd say I was going to do something or make a decision about something, and uh, that would that wouldn't happen. Mm. That's great. And Meredith, if you had yeah. So like like Peter said, I I came into marriage with a really idealised view of marriage. Mm. I had um, sat and observed what had gone in my on in my own family, and you know, from the time I was, you know, five and six, I was beginning to have pictures in my mind of what I wanted a family to look like. So it was idealised, and obviously, when I arrived, well. It's not always going to be the reality. So, um, so I suppose I'd be saying to myself, I would say to myself now that I need to have a realistic expectation about what a husband is. And a husband is not going to be all these things. And that it's actually okay to go and, so for instance, you know, Peter wasn't, I mean, we prayed together that was true, but, And we talked about all sorts of things, but in terms of those close Christian relationships, 
I really, I can, I think I can only get them from another woman. Now, I'm not saying I'm going to go marry a woman, obviously not. But what I need, to, what I need to do is, or and what I did do was that I set up really close relationships with other women. So I've got about three women in my life who we've we used to went at different times we've met weekly and prayed and shared and and really agonised through together what it means to be Christian. And I think. I would say to myself, it's actually okay to do that. I don't have to um, be expecting that my husband is going to do everything. Because after all, he is a male and he does see things differently from a female and I shouldn't yeah. ever expect yeah. him to be like a female is with mm. in our relationship together. So so that's what I, I would mm. say. In, in which I think if I'd thought about that back then, it would have been very liberating and it would have mm. been um, uh, saved a lot, I guess, of the disappointment yeah. of, of what happened. Mm. That's great. Thanks, guys. Take a seat. Um, that, oh, that was really helpful. Um, I've got a lot to think through as well. And um, um, are you willing to go with me for another 10 minutes? No, you're not. Should I pack it up? Oh, that was a yes? Good. Excellent. Because I do want to... It's almost 40 years. What am I holding this for? Um, <laughs> we need a bit of light comic relief, right? Because it's a long one today. But I do want to just get to this little section. It's only four verses on children and kids, and we're not going to do a whole talk on it. But I want to bring up things, um, uh, point out what, what, what Paul does in this passage. Ephesians chapter 4, chapter 6, 1 to 4. Uh, where are we? Here we go. Okay, chapter 6, wonderful. He says, ready, all the younger people? It's your verse. You looking forward to it? Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honour your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on earth. Oh, we won't worry about the next bit. It's not, no, we better read it. Um, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. No, dad jo- No, it doesn't. It actually doesn't at all. It means don't annoy them. Dad jokes are fine. <laughs> Unless they anger them and then we're in trouble. So maybe. Um, so you've got kids and you've got two instructions for kids. Children, obedience and honour. Fathers, it says specifically. Well, I would, have, I would have thought, even because the fathers maybe do it more, or, and the, you know, the head of the household and the way God set it up. But I'm pretty sure that the mothers shouldn't anger their kids as well. By the by, um, the parents don't anger, don't provoke your kids to anger. That's what it means to exasperate. It's provoking. It's the, that oh, I'm going to niggle you. You're going to get frustrated and annoyed. That's what it means. But you've got an option. You can do that, or you can just. Raise them up in the Lord. They're your two options. I think that's um, really interesting. Now, I've already kind of said something that I think is kind of wrong. I don't think when it says children obey your parents, ah, you've turned 18, you can switch off, forget about it, doesn't apply to you anymore. I think things change, but I actually think all of us are thinking about this in the context of how do we honour and obey our parents in our different aspects of life. It's really hard and tricky. And I think this verse is really significant. And if you're, a, um, and I want to say a couple of things. For the younger people, 
Um, I've, said, I've used this verse in, in, in youth ministry for many years, not just because I like saying it because it annoys them a little bit, but children obey your parents in the Lord because I like to get serious and say, are you a follower of Jesus? Do you love him? Because if you do, that means you're changed. And is there any more context in your life in which you should see change than your parents seeing that you're different and you want to try and obey them? If you love Jesus, that does matter to you. And that's a good sign that you actually have wanted to follow him, even though you'll continue to not obey them all the time and you'll have your, your, your teenage brain explosions and all that kind of stuff that we all do. But that matters to you. And you do want to honour parents as well. I, I, I tr- I've been good and bad at honouring my parents. But one thing that I've come to realise, because we live interstate and they really um, uh, miss me and, and the grandkids probably more to the point. And sometimes mum, mum and dad do listen to the talk so they may hear this. But one of the things I've realised is I need, I should call and not just wait to be called sometimes, even if it's just a quick two-minute conversation, but just say, how are you going? What's going on? If I'm driving somewhere or something like that. For ages, it just, oh, I don't, I just, it's not in my brain to do that, but it's truly honouring them because they feel valued in that I still care about them, which of course I do. And I wonder if you're a young adult or you're moving into that, have you ever thought it from the perspective of your parents, the transition that life is in? You're going through all these big changes, but so are your parents because they're going, wait a minute, they've got autonomy now. They can do stuff without me and they're getting jobs. They're moving out. So I'm, you're going to get married soon or you are married and the relationships really change. Have you thought about, oh, actually, I need to honour them in these changes. Not that they're wrong, but how do I do that? All of these things mean that the Christian community is so different. One of the things I've noticed just around schools is, is the way that kids treat their parents. Is, it seems rougher. Maybe it's not, but it just seems rougher and more kind of entitled than what it was when I was a kid. Whether that's true or not, kids in the Christian communities need to look less like that and parents need to bring them up in the Lord. That's all I want to say because I do want to ask Peter and Meredith one, one question. So can I get you back up? Is that all right? And then we're finished, I promise. So hopefully it's worthwhile and you're being encouraged by this. I'll give you this back. I'll give you that. Um, yeah, we'll give this to you, Peter. Um, what practical ways can you avoid exasperating your children? <laughs> uh, uh, first of all, I think this depends on the context of your family yeah, in terms of uh, who you have. In other words, um, one male, five females um, is the family I live in and I think that makes a difference in um, what exasperates, for instance. So for me, it's being careful about teasing um, children. That is, there's the fine line, I think, between having a bit of fun and all of a sudden things turn angry or frustrated and then I get angry and it all just explodes. So I think um, uh, being careful about teasing them, um, particularly for my girls, was a a big thing. Um, And I think (laughs) uh, the other one is uh, living with family and females instead of trying to solve all their problems... I don't understand. What, what are you just like? just <laughs> uh, listening to them is something um, 
I had to learn, still have to learn, um, was, was a, a big thing that they didn't actually want me to solve all their problems. Not that I could anyway. And again, what I said before with Meredith and being consistent in what I say. Mm. Um, so that I would say things, have outbursts, and they knew that I would never follow through on these things or that sort of thing, which was entirely different to their mother um, in that way. So just uh, being consistent with them so they didn't get frustrated either when I didn't do stuff. Mm. Yeah. Um, Meredith, uh, your number one tip, and I'm sure you've got many, pick both Peter and Meredith's brains on this question, your number one tip for bringing up your children in the instruction of the Lord. Now, we had dinner together last night and we asked the girls the answers oh, to great. this question. So, Excellent. Uh, and do you know what was really nice is they actually said what I tried to do. And probably they said what Peter tried to do too, so they talked. So anyway, so for me, the number one tip that I had for my kids growing up, or for my girls, for me, I would always reference stuff to who they were in Christ. Mm. So, and they go, oh, that question that mum used to ask us, is this the way a girl living for Jesus will behave? <laughs> they said, it's still in our heads. And I'm glad about that because that's the question I ask myself. Am I living as a person who's showing Jesus in everything that I do? Mm. So that would be, that is, that is, I guess, the girls talked about that what I did was foundational to their Christian behaviour and what Peter did was foundational to their Christian thinking. Now, obviously, they both go together because you can't have behaviour without the thinking. Mm, mm. And likewise, you need thinking with the behaviour. And the last tip? Uh, yeah, so for me, apart from maintaining family devotions, which is very important, had some, some very significant times uh, for us uh, as a family and the children, um, there's a verse in the Bible that I think should be up on the wall of every home and it's uh, Deuteronomy 6, verses Mm. 6 and 7. It says, These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk talk about them when you sit at home Mm. and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. And what I've always thought that meant is that... um, uh, what we needed to do as parents was to, in a sense, model how Christian faith mattered in everyday life, how it sort of worked, you know, in everyday life and applied to stuff. So they needed to see how Meredith and I made decisions about money and, and all things, time, we give, that sort of thing. But also to help them when they were at school and things weren't well or people wouldn't be kind to them or that sort of thing, mm. come home with these sorts of things. How did our Christian faith uh, work in with that. So seeking always, I suppose, to be thinking about life from a Christian point of view. And that's what I take that verse in Deuteronomy mm. to mean, when you lie down, when you walk along the road, when you, so that you're always trying to um, help your children think through what it means to be a servant of the Lord in the good times, the bad times um, that they have out there in the world. Mm, that's great. Thank you, guys. Really appreciate you sharing with us. Um, don't feel like, oh, wow, the expectation is so high, I can't do all those things. Um, I'm sure Peter and Meredith could share with you too many more times that they feel like they, they would want to work on things. I got that one right, Peter, I think, but family devotions, we need to chat. I'm, I'm struggling with that. So um, let me pray. I hope you've been encouraged and challenged. If you've got any questions on any of that, um, write them down. Um, we're going to have a song, May the Mind of Christ, We'll have prayer and then a final song. 
Thank you for pursuing on further, but I think it was very much worthwhile. So let me just pray and then we'll get into this song, May the Mind of Christ, which just focuses back on Jesus, which sounds like a good plan to me. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, that we can live in relationship in a way that pleases you. And as we've touched on that today, we just ask that our minds will be transformed to live for you and that we will have the mind of Christ and the godly character of Jesus. Amen.